The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Our gracious Father, we come to you today in our own boat on our own lake. And we ask that you would speak as Christ spoke long ago. Speak through your word and speak through my words that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight because you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Charleston, we know all about storms. How many times has it flooded in the last 12 months in Charleston? I don't know. I have no idea. We know all about storms in South Carolina. In the last four autumns, there has been one 500-year flood and three hurricanes in the state of South Carolina. The people who lived in 30 A.D., in the region of the Sea of Galilee, also knew about storms. And the storm that we just read about was something that they were very familiar with. Storms were common because of the geography in that particular area. The people were used to it, and so were the disciples. After all, we know that four of them were fishermen on that lake. They had seen storms before, but this... They had never seen anything like this storm. This was the mother of all storms. It came about suddenly. There was no warning. The the weather people missed it. It started out as something that looked like any other storm, but then it picked up speed and it escalated and it got to the point where we read that it was now life-threatening. But wait, no problem. Jesus was in the boat. Asleep. He was asleep in the back of the boat. A life-threatening storm the Lord asleep in the back of the boat, and all seemed lost. This was the end, and panic set in. And then what happened next was something that only God himself could do. He stopped the storm, and he changed the weather. The Lord Jesus Christ saved the boat. And he filled the disciples with fear and awe and wonder at an experience they had never seen or felt or heard before. And they were different every day after that forever. What is your lake today? Because you see, the lake is the lake of your life and my life. Where is your boat? The boat is who you are with and where you are at this time on that lake. Who's in the boat with you? Is there a storm on your lake? 
Where is Jesus in relation to your boat? Where is your faith in the boat? I thank God for these disciples this morning because I see myself in them. Do you see yourself in these disciples? The Bible tells us exactly what human nature really is, even among those of us who have a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. And as we study this storm on this lake with this boat, what we want to learn is what we can take away as modern-day disciples on our lake today, in our boat, with Jesus Christ in it. We want to organize our thoughts today about this particular passage along three lines, and we'll do that by using questions. So the first question today is this. Where is your boat? That's the question. Now let's begin on verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Now what do we learn? We learn that the disciples were all together. And the disciples were right where they were supposed to be. Now, sometimes storms occur in life when we are not where we are supposed to be and when we're not doing what we are supposed to be doing. If I run a red light, that's going to create a storm. But that's a storm that I brought upon myself. It's my storm. This was not like that. This was a different kind of storm. You will notice they got into the boat and they launched out onto the lake at the Lord's command. He told them to do that. He told them to get in the boat and go out on that lake. Now, we see this happen at various times in the Bible, but the most impressive to me and the easiest to remember is the children of Israel at the time of the Exodus. Now, you remember that story in Exodus chapter 14. All along, God had been leading, through his miracles, Pharaoh and the Egyptians to want to get rid of the people of Israel. And finally, they let them go, and off they go in chapter 14. And then something very interesting happens in verse 2. In verse 2 of chapter 14, God says to Moses, Tell Israel to take this course. Go up here, turn here, go back here, go around here, and turn all the way back and end up here. It's fascinating to take a Bible map and to trace exactly the path that God told Israel to take. It doesn't make any sense. It's as if somebody said, I'm going to go from Grace on the Ashley to Mount Pleasant, and they start off toward Savannah, Georgia. And then they take a turn toward Aiken, and they end up in Columbia. And it appears that they don't know where they're going, or they don't know what they're doing. They did not understand the direction that God was leading them to go. It didn't make any sense, but they obeyed. God said, make them do exactly that and end up here. And do you know where here was? Here was stuck. They were stuck. 
They had the sea behind them. They had the Egyptians in front of them. And there was nowhere else to go. And God had them exactly where he wanted them. And that's what happens to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. God has them exactly where he wants them. And then their boat gets into trouble. Now, that's the plain teaching of Scripture, brethren. God brings storms. God will take us to places where there are going to be storms and they will be unexpected. There will be unexpected trials. There will be unexpected difficulties and they are allowed by God. You remember that the Apostle Paul had to train the early Christians about that again and again. He and Barnabas on the first missionary tour went back to Lystrum and Iconia and and Antioch. And in Acts chapter 14, it said that he strengthened the disciples and urged them to continue in the faith and told them that it is only through many tribulations that they must enter the kingdom of God. God permits the winds to blow. He allows the waves to splash on the deck. Jesus said those beautiful words in his last sermon, his last message on the night that he was betrayed in the upper room. And the last words, if you remember, were to his disciples, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But that's only two-thirds of what he said in that verse. You remember the other part. He said there will be good cheer. But he also said that in the world, you must have tribulation. Now, what we have here is a boat in trouble. It's a church full of disciples in trouble. It's a family, a Christian family, in trouble. And then it got worse. And that boat in trouble went from being a boat in trouble to being a boat in real trouble. Now, you say, Roger, what is the difference? What's the difference between a boat in trouble and a boat in real trouble? I'll tell you the difference. Real trouble is when your fix doesn't work. You see, these disciples had seen this before and they knew what to do. Those four fishermen, everybody get organized. We've seen this before. You, Nathaniel, you bail in the front. You, John, take the helm. You direct. They could organize everybody. They had been there before. They had experience with this. But there was only one problem. It was not working. A week ago, I woke up on Sunday morning, and I was a boat in trouble. My health wasn't right. But no problem. I knew what it was. It's a cold. I know what a cold is. Here's symptom one. Here's symptom two. No problem. And so what did I do? Pharmacy. Cold medication. 
And in 24 hours, it was 10 times worse. That's real trouble. The medicine's not working. I know how to fix a problem relationship. You just be nice. But what do you do when nice doesn't work in a marriage? What do you do when firm doesn't work with a teenager? What do you do when obedience doesn't work with a boss? What do you do when investment doesn't work and more investment doesn't work again and the real estate market starts to bubble? They tried everything they knew, but the boat was filling up. Things were getting worse. And then they went from real trouble to desperate trouble. Do you see that in verse 38? But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are... What started as a nuisance... What started as a little rain and a little wind had blown up. It had blown up. And now it was life and death. Teacher, this is it. This is the end. The residents of Lumberton, North Carolina, knew there was going to be some rain. But then the flood came. This was the end. It swept everything away. That pain in my back. The diagnosis says it's cancer. This is the end. And what started out as financial difficulty in the housing market turns into a real estate disaster. And we stand to lose everything. Now, people don't think that these things will happen to them. I looked at the doctor's office on Tuesday where I was sitting. And as people came in, of course, they go up to the front. They tell the receptionist why they're there. Not one single person had a prior appointment. Pretty soon, half and then three-quarters of the waiting room was filled up with people like me who had no appointment. And it occurred to me, they're just like me. A week ago, they didn't think anything was wrong. Everything was fine. But there they are. I'm aware of a small business in our area doing fine. Labor Day, doing fine. Middle of September, doing fine. Two weeks ago, seven good people And that business got pink slips because their contract was not being renewed on January 1st, and they are in the unemployment line as we speak. They had no idea. That's a storm. Storms come. Life crumbles. And there we are on the lake. First question, where is your boat? Second question, where is the Lord? 
Where is the Lord? Look at verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. The Lord was with them. The Lord was in the boat. They had that going for them. The Lord Jesus was in the boat. Now you will notice, there were other boats with them. In this storm, which was hitting the whole region, there were three possible places to be. What were the three places you could be? Number one, you could be on the shore. Number two, you could be on the lake in another boat. And number three, you could be in the one boat that had Jesus Christ in it. In your opinion, where was the safest place to be? I don't know about you, but I'd want to be in that one boat that had the Lord Jesus Christ in it. The same storm was hitting everybody. Same storm in the town. Same storm in the state. Same storm in the country. Which boat are you in? We want to be in the boat with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are two objections at this point. Objection number one is this. Wait a minute. Wait, Roger, wait a minute. Isn't it true that those people in the other boats were saved also? They were on the same sea that was calmed. They were on the same sea that was stilled. And they got to the same land in the same condition as the disciples. How about them? And you see, the answer is is that those boats represent the beneficial effects of true Christianity on a family, on a neighborhood, on a town, in a country. You see, the Lord was focused in a special way on which boat? The boat with his disciples in it. And his dealings with them in a special way had benefits expanded that helped everyone in the community. When the Lord operates in a special way in and through his people, it has benefits for everyone. Now, you remember what our Lord said. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Can you see salt? No, it's invisible. It operates invisibly. But salt is a preservative. Salt keeps the food with which it is involved or with which it is in contact from decaying. And in the same way, the presence of Christians in a community, in a family, in a town, in a nation have the effect of improving whatever they touch because of their prayers, because of their holy lives and their influence on others, because of their actions, because of their witness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, that light may not, may not be very bright. If you're looking at my light on any given day, it's more like a little candle rather than a searchlight on top of a lighthouse. 
But nevertheless, that one little boat with 13 people in it influenced for good the entire region. Anybody know what's going to happen on Tuesday? Someone educate that youngster, please. On Tuesday, there's going to be an election. There are going to be a lot of them. All across our country, every state, every town, every locality. Elections. What is the Christian's duty on our lake on Tuesday? To vote. Christians voting influence the whole lake. Our Lord working through us to exercise our God-given right to vote will influence for good an entire community, an entire state, an entire nation. Christian, if we do not vote for the government we want, we're going to get the government that they want. If we do not vote for the representatives that we want, and that support what is right and good, we will get the representatives that they want. Where is your Lord? Where is the boat? The other boats were with them, yes. But you remember what our Lord said about these other boats without Jesus in them. The Sermon on the Mount, he said, Many will come to me on that day. And say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Weren't we there on the Sea of Galilee in the same storm? Why, we were in the other boats. We were right there. I even attended the church. I could see it from across the street. I heard sermons, Lord. And you remember that he said on that day, he will say, Be gone, I never knew you. He is in the boat who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We want to be in not the other boats. We want to be in the boat with Jesus in it. Now wait a minute. Someone says there's a second objection. Isn't it true? In verse 38, that Jesus, the one you say has got to be in the boat with you, isn't it true that that Jesus is in the back of the boat, out like a light? And the answer is, yes, that's absolutely true. Out like a light. And here we come face to face with the mystery of the person of Jesus Christ. And the disciples had it right in front of them. They couldn't understand it either. This was the same Lord that they had seen cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Things that only God could do. But they had also seen a man who was tempted in the wilderness, just like they were. They'd seen a man who was hungry, And needed food, just like them. And they'd seen a man who was so tired from a day's ministry that he fell asleep in the back of the boat. True man, 
true God, same person, at the same time, unmixed yet unseparated, as the confession says. It's a mystery. And they were face to face with this mystery as we are today. But the disciples cry out to him, don't they? They say, in verse 38, waking him up, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And isn't that the greatest trial of all? The real trial was not the storm. The real trial was Jesus being asleep in the middle of it. The real trial was wondering if God even cares. Now, let's be fair. This question for them was not just selfish. They weren't just saying, Lord, you know, don't you even care about us? Yes, that was true. But they included him in this. They were saying, Lord, don't you care about your own ministry? Don't you care, Lord, about the church? Don't you care about our family? Everything that you have been working on, Lord, for a year and a half, it's in jeopardy. It's all going to crumble. Don't you even care about the cause of Jesus Christ in the United States? And isn't that exactly what we struggle with today? What about me? What about our church? What about Charleston? What about the United States? What about the world? You see, this is the greatest trial of all, when God appears to be doing nothing. You see this often in the Old Testament. You remember Elijah. The prophets really struggled with this. As Israel went downhill, morally, spiritually, in every way, you have people like Elijah saying, Lord... Don't you? I'm the only one left. Like, way to go, Lord. You worked us down to one. And God has to remind him, uh, no, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Do you know what percentage of the population that was? I would encourage you, those of you who like to do this, I did this this week because I was interested. How many was 7,000 back then? Look up the population of Israel, as far as we know, about 850 B.C. And then take 7,000 and divide it by that number. You know what you get? Less than 1%. That's still not very many. It appeared in Elijah's day that all was lost and the cause of God was gone. But it's not true. Habakkuk struggled with the same thing. This is the whole message of the prophet Habakkuk. Lord, don't you see what's happening to your own cause? How can God be good and care and yet be powerful and able at the same time? Unbelieving philosophers can't figure it out, and they say it's not true, therefore that God cannot exist. Now, you will notice that in fact they are wrong. And the only way to find out and to be satisfied is to do what these disciples did. What did they do in verse 38? They didn't consult secular philosophy or psychology. They went straight to the source. 
They went to Jesus. As we're going to see in a minute, this is what saved them. They knew where Jesus was. They went to the Lord and they cried out to him. And they prayed to him and they beseeched him. And you see, the only way they could do that was because they knew where he was. And I want to ask us all a question this morning. When you are in trouble, do you know where to find the Lord Jesus? Is he near? Do you know exactly where he is? You see, these disciples could do that because he was near to them in the boat and they had been living with him and talking with him and fellowshiping with him on a daily basis, a regular basis. So when the storm hit, they knew where he was. Brethren, do we know where the Lord is today? But then there's a third question, and this is what we want to focus the remainder of our time on. Where is your boat? Where is the Lord? Is he in your boat? And are you in his boat? But then third, where is your faith? Now this question, where is your faith, occurs in the parallel passage in Luke, where Jesus says to them, where is your faith? But what happens is the Lord wakes up, of course, and he rebukes the storm. And then something totally unexpected happens. He rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes them. Jesus speaks peace to the sea, and then he speaks peace to the disciples. But he doesn't do it in the way that they thought he would. And he doesn't speak peace to you and me in the way that we would expect. You see, you have to understand about this passage that there were really two storms going on. How many of you have figured that out? There was the storm without, but then there was the storm within. There was the storm with the wind and the waves outside of the disciples. But then there was the storm in the minds and in the hearts of the disciples. The one storm, <clears throat> the storm without. Our Lord can stop with a word. That was easy. Are you in financial trouble today? Our Lord can fix that with a word. Are you in poor health today? Our Lord can fix that with a word. He's proven it. Our Lord can fix our country with a word. He can do it. He can fix anything. He can stop any storm with a word. That's the easy part. The hard part is that the storm within, <clears throat> well, that needs further treatment. That needs spiritual surgery by a heavenly physician. And so now our Lord challenges them with heavenly surgery. And he challenges them with three questions, which really are all the same questions stated differently. You'll notice how he deals with them. He challenges them. First, look in verse 40. First question, first challenge. Why are you so afraid? Second question. 
Have you still no faith? Why hasn't your faith made enough progress that you could figure this thing out? How come your faith isn't better? And then the third question, where is your faith? All the same question. You see, what he's teaching is this. You and I must be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We have got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sin by trusting in his atoning death for our sin as our substitute on the cross of Calvary. Otherwise, you and I cannot get to heaven. Otherwise, you and I cannot be guilt-free. Otherwise, you and I cannot be reconciled to God and walk with him each day in peace. We must be in the boat with Jesus. That's what that means. Being in the boat with Jesus and being his disciples means they were in saving relationship to him. It all has to start there. But the problem is that for so many of us, that's where it ends. And we forget that we've got to keep living by faith. How does Paul put it? We walk by faith, not by sight. The life I live now, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to take that faith that saved me and build on it and work with it and apply it to new situations. That's the life of faith. And the disciples forgot to do this. The storm, <clears throat> the storm was a new experience. Keep that in mind. It was a new trial, a new test. And they needed to take their faith and reapply it to that new situation, as do we. You see, so many times we think faith operates automatically. It's like the thermostat. You know, like the heat goes up in your house and the thermostat kicks on and then there, there, the air conditioning works. Well, faith is supposed to just happen like that, right? No. Faith has got to be executed. It must be applied to every new situation. Now, how do we do that? Well, our Lord teaches us here. There are three steps. He says, first of all, when these storms hit, refuse to panic. Just stop. And whatever else happens, I am going to refuse to panic. Now look at what he says, verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? You're coming apart at the seams. You're losing it. You're becoming desperate. Whatever else you do, don't do that. Just stop. And take that foot of faith and keep it on the head of doubt and despair and panic. Now, this is what Moses said. Let's go back to the children of Israel. Remember where we left them. Well, here comes Pharaoh. And what did they do? Read what happens. They flipped out. 
They lost it. They panicked. They were ready to go back. All is lost. Thanks a lot, Moses. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here? That's literally what they say. And read what Moses says in verse 13. First words to them. Fear not. Stand firm. First words. I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday. But I know this. On Wednesday morning, no matter what happens on How are we now? The truth sets us free. They had seen Jesus cast out demons, raise the dead, and made paralytics to walk. But they forgot. Has Jesus ever worked in your life? Go back to when he worked and remind yourself of what he did. But then thirdly, Resist panic. Remind yourself of the truth that you already know in Jesus. And thirdly, reason from what you know to what you don't know. Take what you already know about the truth as it is in Jesus and what he has done in your life. And make the logical step to apply it to the new situation and what you don't know. Christ is admonishing them to exercise their faith by applying it here. Whatever your present circumstance, bring all you know to be true of your relationship to God to bear upon it. John Newton has these famous words that I... I print it out and pay. It's the only place I can find only way I can find it. Have it right there. Each new storm. God's love in times past forbids us to think that He'll leave us in last and at last in trouble to sink. <clears throat> Each sweet Ebenezer we have in review. See, reminding myself, reminding myself. 
confirms his good pleasure to help us right through the storm. Is it possible in your situation today that God is not concerned about you? Is it possible? Is there a remote possibility that God doesn't care? No. It's impossible. It's impossible. Is it possible that you could be harmed? Is it possible that this could be it? It's all over. No way. Is it possible that everything could be lost forever? Never. God works all things for good. For those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Take what you know and apply it to the new situation. And when you do, you're going to see something. You're going to see the value of weak faith. Because this is the beauty of what happens now. Even though the disciples were not on their A game or on their B game, even though you could barely see if they had a game, in the end they do the right thing. And they go to Jesus. And you'll notice what happens when they do. First of all, he rebukes them. He will be disappointed in you, just like he's disappointed in me. Roger. Roger. Man, I thought you had it together. I thought you were further than this, Roger. Roger, you know better. You've been walking with the Lord for how long? Roger, you've been through something like this. You know better. You know better than to do that. You know better than to say that. You know better than to act that way. And he will admonish you like that. He will question you. Why didn't you reason it out, Roger? Think about, think it through, Roger. He'll reason with you that way. And then he'll do something amazing, truly amazing. He'll keep you in the boat. Isn't it amazing? He doesn't kick him out of the boat. I w- sometimes I want to kick myself out of the boat. There are times when pastors want to kick the whole church out of the boat. There are times when churches want to kick all the pastors out of the boat. Our Lord receives them all. He keeps them all in the boat. Because at the end of the day, He chose you. He chose them. He died for them. Is he going to let them be lost? Is he going to get rid of them? Never. No way. He receives them, and he'll receive us. And he'll bless us, and he'll stop the storm, just like he did with them. And he will give us peace. And then he will train us. And he will strengthen us with new grace and new knowledge of him. Do you see verse 41? That's a very important verse. They got a new vision of him. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? I knew God was God, but I never knew he could do that. Jesus has been walking with me and I with him for 50 years. But even I didn't know that he could do that. How can we have a great spiritual experience? The only way to have great spiritual experiences is to go through the storm on the lake with Jesus. That's the only way. You can't get it. In a, you can't read it in a book. The only way you can find out what God really is to you in Jesus Christ is to be on that lake, in that storm, in that boat with Jesus where are you on the lake? Are you in the storm? If you are, just remember that there is only one safe place to be, and that's in the boat with Jesus. Are you in that boat? God's taking you all over the lake. Lord, I thought we were going into that haven. I thought you were calling me to that in life. No? Well, then what am I doing over here on the other side of the lake? I thought you weren't going to call me there, but, Lord, then I'm over here. Lord, I, all I want to do is your will. I don't know where you want me to go. You're in the right place. Now all that God asks you to do is take everything you know about him. All those years, remind yourself of say, I know that he's going to do it again. He will lead me home. May God give us grace to follow him like that every day. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we're all on the same lake, the lake of life. One end of the lake, there may be a storm. Some of us may be going through that. The other end of the lake, it may be calm. For some of us, it may be calm, but we know this. We know the storms will hit because you promised that they will. Use every trial, every difficulty, Lord, every challenge, every perplexity to draw us nearer to yourself, to trust in you again, and to watch the wonderful works that you will do. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.